HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni, I'm the host, and it's the 14th season of Heritage Radio Network and Beer Sessions Radio. Wow, we've got some good friends out in Colorado, and uh, we're going to talk to them today. Um, what I love about, about doing the online shows like we're doing now is that there's a, a guy out in Littleton, Colorado, that's going to be talking to us about his brewery. So let's uh, go around the room and, and you guys introduce yourself. Start with Jason. Yeah, my name is Jason Bell, and I'm the founder and owner of Living the Dream Brewing in Littleton, Colorado. That's amazing. <laughs> I just love, I was out in Denver this spring, and I just love, uh, you know, getting to talk to you guys, and, uh, you know, so cool. And Em? Hi, everyone. I'm Emily Cutto. I'm the founder at Radcraft, and I'm a proud spokesperson for Living the Dream Brewing. All right. So, um, Emmy, I, I got to hang out with you a little bit Um through a lot of your clients at uh, the Bolazol, the Pozzoli and Mezcal Fest back in March uh, out in Denver. It was my first time in Denver. And uh, one thing about Denver and Littleton, that whole area, the lifestyle's great, the, the beer's great, the food, the, the IQ of, of not just the industry, but also the consumers is, is, is really high. And um, I guess it's probably one of my favorite places to go now. Um, Jason, why don't you tell us on that note? I know it's your ninth anniversary just just happened at uh, at your brewery. Why don't you tell us about how you got started? A little bit about you know what you think of the industry there in Littleton and Greater Denver area, and uh, you know your passions for, for for beer and having a brewery. Sure. Um, well, yeah, as you said, we just we just had our ninth birthday. Uh, we opened in two thousand fourteen. My path here is a little bit varied, although most brewery owners will tell you they, you know, we all came from something else, as as did I. Uh, my background was in food. I was a chef for a number of years, then moved into restaurant and bar management and beverage management, and then moved into wine and spirits liquor retail. And that's about the same time craft beer started uh, 
coming on real strong. I was in this, uh, that point I was in Chicago, Illinois and uh, running liquor stores. And that was the same time that uh, a little brewery out here called New Belgium uh, shipped the first bottles of fat tire east of the Mississippi legally and sold them. So it kind of caught my eye and, and I got into it and um, picked up home brewing as my wife told me to get a hobby. And um, <laughs> I'm not sure if he, uh, not really sure if she uh, really thought this is what's going to happen, but uh, started home brewing and, and kind of grew it and decided this is what we wanted to do and moved out here and, and spent about a year getting ready and then opened the doors. Um, as for you, you hit it on the head with the, the clientele and that's and the customer base out here, which is a lot of the reason we wanted to do it here. It's a little bit like if we can make it there because the, the clientele, the customers are so savvy. They understand beer. It's part of the culture. It's deeply embedded in the culture. Uh, it's what people do. They hang out at breweries. They hang out in tap rooms. That's where they meet. Um, and getting to be a provider of that as well as you become part of the community has really been the, the, the crux of what we do. That's great. Great intro, man. Um, so, you know, when you first started, what, what, what was the setup like, you know, what did, were you able to, to, was the tap room an important part of this where you're just, just making beer and selling the beer? Yeah. When we opened, um, we, we opened just with a tap room. It was about six or eight months later, we, we started to, you know, sell a kegger to, to some local restaurants that were interested um, and it was probably another six, eight months. We began packaging beer through through mobile canning, uh, and just kind of learned from there. We started on a small seven barrel system that was completely manual. Um, you know, our I know our first brew days were thirteen, fourteen hours for a single batch, which you know you always look back and kind of laugh at what we didn't <laughs> know. Well, it's a great way to start, man. You know, what what were some of the first beers that that you made that you remember, and and do you still make those? Um, I do remember, somewhat painfully, but no, I do remember. <laughs> um, a couple of them have have survived. Uh, none are in our main rotation anymore, uh, and a few of them are gone completely or have evolved into something else. You know, we 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 tried to start with a pretty. Uh, good spectrum of different styles. I know we started with an IPA. Um, we started with a, a, a double IPA, single IPA, uh, dry stout. Um, we worked our way into our first lager. Um, what else? Uh, we started with a Belgian wit that is no longer made. And I think that is about it. it was, I think we started with five. Wow. Uh, out there now in where you are in Colorado, What's the number one uh, style of beer that people drink at tap rooms, or is it different at different places? Definitely different at different places. Uh, our our flagship is uh, we developed a cream ale called Powder Run that is a cream ale that we add pure vanilla to and a little bit of lactose, so it kind of drinks like a dry cream soda. Um, it's kind of the beer that put us on the map outside of our our you know, immediate neighborhood area, but, um, it's still our best seller, but overall style wise, it's still IPA. That's cool, man. And, uh, what are your thoughts about this brewery? Because I mean, 
you've got a lot of different ones. There's there's so many breweries in the country right now, but each place is unique. Each place is special. And the on-premise experience is is really what 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 I'm excited about. I feel like everyone's got tap rooms can always be better and there's nothing like a great tap room. I could not agree more with you, Jimmy. I have always loved living the dream brewing since they started for one, because it's located in my hometown. So I tend to be surrounded by friends and family when I'm in Littleton. And uh, that's the vibe at, at living the dream always, whether or not I bring my friends or I just make friends. And it's the people there that I think really make the difference for me. I've always gotten exceptional customer service and I'll use your term high beer IQ among their <laughs> staff. And I also really love living the dream. Well, I mean, beer first, right? I, I wouldn't work with a brewery that, that wasn't making really wonderful, tell everybody about it beer because that's that's why we're all here but then they augment the experience with all of these wonderful people and this really comfortable tasting room and i i think they like dogs in living the dream just as much as or if not more than humans and so my my fur baby has always been quite welcome there and, and for that i i really appreciate them <laughs> that's cool jason so let's talk more about your tap room just because I, I really am, like, especially after pan, the pandemic, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to a lot more breweries about what's happening in their tap room and whether they're doing Cascale on the East Coast or trying out, you know, side poles to do Czech lagers. Um, you know, is there a vision for your tap room now or is it just like evolved? And, um, you know, what, what is it that you like about your tap room? Like, because sometimes it's like, I just want to go to a certain place because there's something about it that just does it right. Yeah. I would say first and foremost, the, the thing I like about my tap room is our team. Um, I am incredibly fortunate to have wonderful people working with me. You know, I, I don't try to do everything. Uh, I've got enough to do and every one of them, we've got people that have been with us pretty much since we opened and, uh, you know, first and foremost, they make they make the experience. Um, our tap room is not what you would call plush. It's pretty rustic. It's we're in an industrial building with a roll up door. Um, you know, and that's what people kind of like, especially down here in the suburbs. It's a little bit kind of, you know, that kind of industrial rustic feel you're kind of getting away. But, you know, it's just comfortable. It, it's It's got that feel where there's a really good chance one of the bartenders knows who you are. Uh, if they don't, they will get to know you pretty fast, as Emily was talking about. Um, you know, we didn't, we didn't really, evolution for us has been just keep getting better at what we do. Um, you know, we do some events, but it's, we don't do live music. We don't, we're not a sports bar and we haven't keep, we haven't thrown a bunch of stuff against the wall to see what sticks. We've just become a place that people know and feel at home at and can, and can relax and, and have a great, a, a great beer, hopefully, and a great time. Um, you know, so we haven't, it's hard. We're not really, our theme is just Colorado. It's out the outdoors. Um, our whole front of our bar is lined with skis, uh, old skis. And, um, you know, we don't, we, we theme it just to make people feel good about being here. Not, not to, you know, impose some sort of experience other than just enjoyment. Wow, that's really cool. I, I know you got this quote that said you're inspired by the Thoreau quote. 
Mm-hmm. Am I? Do you know the quote, or am I putting you on the stump? Oh no! Go forth in the direction of your dreams and live the life you have imagined. Uh, I know it well. Write it a lot. Um, yeah, it. It's funny when we found that it just fits. We found that after we named everything, and kind of came up with everything, and it just was like, holy cow, this fits so well to not you know, not just what we're doing living our dream of, of, of creating this business, but just, you know, go after it. it. It's the world's out there, go experience it, chase, chase your dreams because that's the only way they come true. You know, the fact that you, you use a thorough quote puts you in a very high, high drinking IQ group. <laughs> Cause I have a friend from the East coast. He's a, he's a cider maker and author. And he, he always quotes Thoreau. He's, he's more into apples, but, um, I'm smiling because of it. I think M M must be smiling too. Um, you know, more of your inspirations, man, because like you, you seem like a a, a thoughtful guy. Um, and food and beverage. You know, when did you know that that was your thing? Because you you worked in it a long time. Uh, I knew pretty early. Funny enough, I I always was into it. As a, at a young age, I started just getting into cooking and and food and. Unfortunately, I took a side trip and studied engineering in college for three and a half years, thinking that's, you know, that that's a career, food's fun, and finally decided uh, to pursue it full time and left left school for a while and apprenticed in a, in a hotel and learned. But it was a pretty early age of that. That was where my interest was. And I've kind of evo- it, it kind of evolved to not just about food, but flavor. I really enjoy flavor. Um, combinations and, and and the way things you know you react to different flavors and that's how it kind of tied into the the beer side as well um and we try to use that kind of passion when we brew or when we come up with new new beers so it was pretty early for me it was probably uh eight nine ten i probably got started getting into it somewhere on there oh yeah so um you know Changing subjects back to just Colorado and the state. I know in diff- different states, you know, there's different rules and regulations for tap rooms and, and how you can operate. Like I know in New Jersey, there's a big push now to, to change some of the, the the tap room laws because a lot of the breweries are have their hands tied behind their back. Um, but in other states like New York, it's it's really gotten a lot more progressive. Um, what can you do in your tap room? I mean, can you have, do you have to have food? Can you bring in food? Can you have events? Yeah, it's, it's one of the reasons there's so many breweries in Colorado. Uh, the state is very friendly. Uh, some municipalities may have some more strict rules, but not, not a lot. They, I think they've realized very quickly that it is such a, a, a revenue generator for, for the governments and for, um, and it's just what people want. Um, we don't really have a lot of restrictions, uh, you know, other than the, the, the standards of, you know, people can't bring in their own, their own alcohol. Um, we're not allowed to serve because we operate under a manufacturing license. We're not a brew pub. Um, we don't do food. Uh, I can't serve, you know, wine or any other or spirits or anything. Uh, we can through a lot of hassle but doable serve other breweries, Colorado breweries, beer, um, you know, for collaborating with somebody, it, it works really well. Um, but overall events are fine. People can bring their own food in. 
Um, we do food trucks. We rotate probably 35 different food trucks and we have them every night, seven days a week. Uh, it's, it's very, very friendly to, to operating, uh, you know, a tap room and a, and a brewery uh, in, in Colorado, which is probably, you know, a big part of the reason why they're, it's so popular here. Wow. What are some of the food trucks that, that, that you yourself like? Oh, wow. We have uh, such a wide variety and um, everything from there's a great truck that does authentic like Austrian schnitzel to uh, we had a wonderful Detroit pizza truck that was here this weekend. Um, lot and lot of taco trucks, uh, some wings. Um, and there's some that are pretty cool that get pretty uh, creative with the food. And they're probably some of my favorites. Uh, I would say my favorites fall into two categories, either, you know, they, they specialize in something and they just do it really well. And I would put the pizza truck or, and the schnitzel truck in that category or, tr or trucks that they have a lot of creativity. And, and we used to have a truck, um, that changed the menu every month and it was, you know, based on the season and, and that kind of thing. Um, and we're, we've also over time kind of set standards for what we expect so you know we rarely get a truck that isn't isn't pretty outstanding yeah hey you know talking about tap rooms and service i i came up more through the restaurant industry and i always think about there's a bar for you know getting your drinks or even eating and when you sit i i always like table service but i'm coming around to to, to tap room life i just read an article about um i'm up in the boston area these days and uh couple of breweries that 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 have a, a outdoor beer garden and just just how how important that is for people to socialize um mm -hmm. i because i i, I want to hear your thoughts on what what a good tap room is and and the social experience um yeah, yeah. i i think the interaction level should be as much or as little as as the consumer wants you know if they if they want to sit at the bar and, and, you know, talk, get to know the bartender and have them get to know them. Fantastic. You know, if, if they're meeting somebody or it's a family get together or whatever, and they just want to get their beers and have their space, they should be able to do that too. You know, it's when we try to impose what it should, what we think they should do. I think that's when you run into trouble. And, uh, and that, that again, falls back to our staff, just, just being able to read the customer and react and not feel bad if they're not chatty, but certainly they're, you know, wonderfully social people who, who will definitely get to know you if that's what you desire. I think that, I think that's the big key is just having the option and letting the, the, the consumer, um, you know, guide, guide the process, so to speak. And then and mentioned dogs. How do you read dogs? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, well, I think our staff holds world records for number of dogs petted in a year, but, um, you know, it's <laughs> a lot of that over time, to be honest, you do have to train your customers a little bit and we have to set, you know, you gotta be on a leash. They gotta be well-behaved. Um, and over time, very quickly, you know, people don't want to be that guy with, with the aggressive dog or, or whatever. So, they a lot of people bring their dogs here and that's how they socialize them you know they know we have a, a a setup for water so they can get bowls of water whenever they need it certainly right now it's very warm um things like that we have dog treats behind the bar and 
Uh, we actually, as part of our, our, our marketing efforts that Emily works so well with, we have, we do a dog of the month, um, who gets, you know, on our, on our social media and the, their owners, uh, get discounts for the month. And it, it's amazing the response, but pe people out here, again, just like the beer people out here love dogs. I mean, I have one, Emily has one, I would say at least 60% of my staff have dogs. Um, you know, so it's, it's all part of it as well. It's just all part of that Colorado life. Em, do you want to add anything for the dogs? I will say it's worth the follow at living dream brew on Instagram so that you can see all these pups. Wow. I love that. Hey, um, talking about cans and, and things, are you distributing, um, outside? So you, you mentioned when you started, you did a little distributing. Mm -hmm. Um, what are you doing now? Are, are you distributing statewide? Yes, we, uh, we were distributing up until a little, just about 14 months ago, we were just self-distributing on, on the front range, meaning basically Wyoming South to Colorado Springs, which includes Denver and Littleton. And, um, but it was just us doing it, our own truck going out, uh, a little over a year ago, we signed with, uh, Colorado craft distributors here in in Denver, and now they are distributing us throughout the whole state. That's great, man! Congratulations. Thank you. Do you, do you just depend on them to to do the sales, or do you guys have to go out and um, do you go to other other towns or or, sure. or stores to support? We, we had before we signed, we had two sales reps, and we kept them. Now they're kind of our brand managers. Um, so their whole job is to support Colorado craft and their sales reps, which I think they have 14 or 15. Um, you got to keep your brand re relevant. You know, I, I learned this from running liquor stores. We, we would get brands from out of state, you know, including Colorado when I was in Chicago and if they didn't support them, why, why is the distributor going to care? You know? So it's always been important that we, we support and our two guys are out every day, uh, either setting up special events or, or you know, beer of the month kind of things, or, or, or just working alongside um, the the distribution sales reps. So it it it's just it's a necessity. You can't you can't just you know clap your hands and hope they take care of it. You've got to really stay on them. Not that they don't care. It's just they have however many other brands. You know they have to. So you, our job is to stay relevant in in their minds and in the in the accounts that we we are in. Oh yeah, you got so many. You know how it is. You get that one good rep, and uh, suddenly you, you're removing a lot of their beer. Exactly. So, hey, um, but more about uh, distribution. It might be controversial. I don't think it's controversial because I'm a, I'm a big supporter of small craft breweries. But I remember a few years back I had a conversation up about. Like every state is different about their wine and liquor stores, and I yeah. remember that that one of the your, your legendary brewers said that one reason Colorado craft beer took off was because of the indie liquor wine stores. Um, tell me more about that, and it, it seems like a uniquely Colorado thing because I know in New York we have New York State. There's uh, the independent wine stores are the only place you can buy wine or liquor, but not beer. Well, that's evolved here too. Um, that was very true. And so you could guarantee that every 
corner strip mall with a with a grocery store also had a liquor store um the 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 problem with that is is that you know you you get a lot of small little shops and it's hard to service them all and um some are definitely better than others and there's some there's some really good ones out there um what it what has evolved here is now grocery stores can carry full strength beer we were famous for the three two law where grocery stores could only carry three two beer which you know is a bit we call it why bother beer but um <laughs> you know and that's that's pretty much gone because the liquor stores are now have gone full strength um there was a lot of rules about you could own for the longest time even as a liquor store owner you could only own one um any license any liquor store retail license was just limited to one per owner that's begun to evolve um you know it, it, it's good and bad for sure uh it's nice to see some some larger companies come in who can offer selection and service you know and i came from a company like that in in chicago we had i think they're up to 40 stores now um but you also don't want to rule out the independent you know you really want to make sure uh, we've made the decision we are not in the grocery stores uh in the big chain grocery stores other than i think we're in whole foods i think that's the only one um but they have such a commitment to local that you know it's worth it um but the big stores are and what we what we saw what we see is the big the big grocery stores are selling the really big craft beers and you could almost put craft in quotes for those um you know and it's fine i don't think it's hurt us i think it's actually it helps us a little bit to say no we're not in those places so when we we are introduced to a new liquor smaller liquor store you know they're more interested in our product for that reason um but yeah it's it's a slow evolution which i think is probably smarter than you know a quick change which is something that was kind of attempted with some ballot measures but luckily they they found a compromise that i think is is working it's but it's going to be a multi multi-year process yeah and talking about you know colorado that you as your governor and senator john hickenlooper i don't know if it's okay to talk about him but how important was he to the evolution of colorado craft beer i think for the simplest way to put it is he kept the government kind of out of the way when it came to breweries uh, you know, he was a big part of it with Wincoop and um, as he as he kind of rose up the ranks, you know, he's mayor of Denver and then he was governor and now senator. Um, he has always done a good job of, of keeping uh, keeping it, you know, very friendly for craft breweries and, and hasn't we haven't seen a lot of. I'm having a hard time thinking of any major regulations changes that have affected us um you know and it's i'm i don't know specifically exactly what he did he was already he was just leaving governor the governorship i think when i moved here or was at the tail end um but always been he met him a couple times super nice guy and very very much you know uh involved and and supportive of of the industry and wants to keep keep the state at kind of the forefront of of the industry um so it's you know absolutely hats off to him wow that's really cool i've uh, heard a lot about him never never been to wincoop but um i know that for a long time he was he was talked about as an important important person in your state so yep. um 
thank you for for talking about that. Yeah. Um, you know, for you, Littleton, you know, there's something about Colorado. I know the Brewers Association's there, and, and I'm just an East Coast guy, so it might sound like an idiot to you guys, but I, I think that for a lot of our listeners, it's it's fascinating to meet you and, and hear about you. Tell us more about Littleton. So, you know, you're in an industrial kind of style brewery. Right. You know, do people drive to you? Do they do they walk? Um, do they bike? You know, um, where do you eat in your town besides the food trucks? Um, just tell us a little bit about the local flavor. So we're in this kind of interesting spot. Our address is Littleton. We're not officially in Littleton. <laughs> um, we are in what's we're in an unincorporated area that sits between Littleton and another unincorporated community called Highlands Ranch. Um, Highlands Ranch is probably our biggest area of draw, and it's a fascinating place in that it's one of the largest unincorporated communities in the country. Uh, I think it's over 100,000 people, and it's not a city. There is no mayor. Um, it is run by a community association. Um, it is ultimate suburbia, um, and I don't say that in necessarily a bad way because I actually live in Highlands Ranch. Um, but we are on the edge of that and the edge of Littleton and we pull a lot from both. And then there's another two more little sleepy communities to our South. Um, so we're kind of in this middle area in this Island of industrial around suburbia, I guess I would call it. Uh, although to our West, we're not far from the mountains and a, and a really great, uh, reservoir lake that is open to the public called Chatfield. Um, but it's it's really kind of this odd thing where we we're not close enough that people can walk to really to residential. We do get a ton of people who bike, uh, and there are many many miles of trails, and that's one of the things again that's part of that Colorado lifestyle. But we uh, I think in Highlands Ranch there's over a hundred miles of bike trails, and there's a ton of little wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and the and there's some that run along the rivers. Uh, there's a Highline Canal Trail that runs all over Denver, and we it's literally almost right behind the brewery. So we get a ton of people biking. We've had people show up in horses. Um, you know, you, you never know. It's it's interesting. It's an interesting area. But otherwise, I mean, there's a lot of cool. There's a lot of great places to eat and and stuff. There's a lot of local, of course, a lot of chains too. But um, you know, Mexican food is very big here uh green green chili is king in that area you know um between the colorado pueblo chilies and then the the new mexico hatch chilies that's a big deal every year we do a beer with with hatch chilies in it um a lot of pizza there's i mean there's a lot of everything there's a lot of good ethnic food my wife is from the uk so she has to find good indian food and has um you know, there, there's just whatever you want. It's here. And, and I moving here from Chicago, it's easier to get to things, you know, living in a city like Chicago, if you wanted to go three towns over, it was the whole evening it, just to get there and, and get back. And uh, here you can, you can travel around a little bit. We've got these great historic places, um, the fort, Buckhorn Exchange, um, you know, I'm sure I'm missing some stuff, but there, it's just whatever you want. It's here. So you're in that ideal place. I, I read recently that the the ideal commute is 30 minutes. 
Yeah. If you're any, if you're any further than that, your quality of life suffers. So I'm, uh, although I have been to Boston and you got some pretty, pretty great food there too. So, well, we'll, we'll talk East coast later, but we, <laughs> in New York, you can take a subway, but I, ideally you can walk somewhere, but it's, it's not like where you guys are. I'm kind of enamored with, with the whole Denver area right now. So, um, and that's all, that's all M's fault. So M, you know, uh, we're going to take a short break here. We'll be right back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Welcome to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Support us, become a member, HeritageRadioNetwork.org. So we got Jason Bell, Living the Dream Brewery in Littleton, Colorado, and M. Hudo, our good friend from Radcraft Beer. Um, so M, you, you got this client. I, we can talk about it because you're a big part of, of how the beer world works. We I got to meet a lot of your clients at the Craft Malt Conference. I, I've talked to friends of yours in Durango. I met Emporium Brewing when I was in Denver. Um, what's the magic of Rad Craft? Because the one thing I would say is all your clients are are worthy and they make good beer. That's um, a really lovely question. Thank you. I um, I think ten years in business, and it, it's funny. The more I spend in time in business, the the less I know. Um, but I, I think really it's just a matter of the people who are involved. I, I have this company slogan that's good beer made by better people. And there's some secret sauce in, in finding humans who really care about their communities, really care about the people who work at their businesses and who are doing something that, that matters to them. And I think when business is fueled by passion it just makes it that much more authentic and exciting to be a part of. Um, specifically related to living the dream, I, I mean, it's clear that Jason is a, a man with a lot of passion and who has built a brewery and a company and a brand around these these elements of life that he really cares about. Um, one of those things is it's a base camp for adventure. And, and I know a lot of companies say that, but you can literally sit on the living the dream patio and look at the front range and look at the Rocky mountain range and just know that you're in the, in the heart of Colorado with opportunities endlessly in front of you. Another thing Jason really cares about is quality of ingredients. I know that comes from his chef background, but 
all of the different flavors that you can taste in living the dream beers are are naturally derived ingredients. So he's, he's not interested in, in putting fake stuff in there. And I think that really makes a difference um, in what you can taste and also just the overall mission um, of intentionality and, and doing things in, wow. in ways that matter to him. No, that's great. So, so Jason, let's, let's talk more about your beers and beer styles. Um, you won two gold medals recently for the U.S. Beer Open for Rocker Spirits, uh, Bourbon Barrel Age Imperial Stout, um, and the Horchata Powder Run um, variation on your cream ale. You want to talk about some, the beers, just the process? And are, are you the brewer? Do you have a brewer now? Yeah, when we when we started, I was the brewer and I brewed pretty much everything. And um, as the business grew and and our structure kind of evolved, um, I knowingly stepped away from from the brewing. I mean, I knew it was going to happen, and and I'm okay with it. Um, now we we've had a couple of head brewers. Um, Tim was was one of our more recent ones who who really he started with us in the beginning and and group came up through the ranks uh and then a, he let me know about a year in advance that he was going to be returning to his home in Florida for family uh and he's now running a brew pub down there quite well um and then uh we brought in uh Rob Meehan at that point and he's been the head brewer for almost 2 years or about a year and a half I think um Rob came from, from the East coast. Uh, he, he from New York originally, uh, but was, we found him in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, he was the head brewer for a brewery called Pony Source for a while. And then was kind of taking on a, a, a large brew pub project. But, uh, like many of us in this industry, his wife got a job that was good enough that he had to kind of go with her. And that job was out here and we, the timing worked out and you know and, and it works out well for us that what i really liked about rob is he's got three or four advanced degrees but did not come in with an attitude of you know i'll show you how it's done you you know it was more i want to learn how you guys have gotten this far and then let's see what we can do to make it better and that's that's the approach he has had um in both taking on the brewing operations as well as training uh, we have two other full-time brewers, um, so it's it's nice that I I'm comfortable handing you know I still am involved and we discuss a lot, um, and I still have some of the ideas. Uh, it's probably about fifty-fifty now, where before I probably had eighty-five, ninety percent of the the beer ideas, uh, but he completely subscribes to a lot of the philosophy I have regarding quality and and you know, let's not do any shortcuts. Let's, let's really make the best beer we can. And, uh, so that's worked out quite well. Um, and I, w I will add going back to your question about Radcraft and Emily, I think, I think, um, you know, she is the key to it, but I also think part of that is not just her enthusiasm and honesty and, and just how much she, becomes a part of your team, but she came from the beer ranks. She's not an advertising or marketing person who decided to learn about beer. She came up through the ranks in breweries learning just like the rest of us. So I think that's the big key. And that's why us and, and her other clients who I, I know a number of them have so much faith and, and, and 
enjoy working with her so much. So I wanted to give that little plug, but, um, you know, it's, it's been a, it's, it's a neat industry that although it's competitive, there's so much collaborative, um, aspect to it. And, you know, and then you, you, you mentioned us winning a couple of medals, the U S beer open, that's just kind of, to us, that's kind of gravy on top, but, you know, I said, we just had probably a thousand of our, our good friends as customers in over the weekend for our anniversary. And that, that's really the awards for us is when people just enjoy what we're doing. Oh, that's great. Well, it does sound interesting. So rocker spirits, um, it, with your new brewer, is, is, is he driving like innovations or, you know, new, new beers that you're releasing? Um, yes and no. Uh, he is very, um, he's very science driven, which I really like cause it's a nice, nice offset to me with the culinary side. Um, Rob has a PhD in chemistry from Yale. I mean, he's, he lives it. And, you know, of course my first interview question is why the hell are you brewing? And he just loves it. It's what he does. Um, so well, you answer my question too. I was going to say, what degrees does he have? And I, I was wondering, <laughs> yeah, that's one of them. Um, but he doesn't, uh, as he says, he, he only uses his degrees for good. Um, but it's, you know, it's a really nice collaborative effort as well as, uh, um, our other two brewers have come in. We just released a beer for the anniversary that Ted, I got to plug it because Teddy is one of our full-time brewers and it was his, his concept and his recipe. And, and the reason I have to plug it is because he's also my son. Um, so that's pretty cool that I get another generation, uh, and he has earned everything he has gotten here. He gets no special pass, but uh, it's 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 really neat to see something he did or, or David or other brewer did or Rob or anybody, you know, not just to see it do well, but to see them see it do well. You know, when they create something and people really enjoy it, um, it that's pretty cool. So it's, you know, it, it, it's really um, our innovation is in baby steps. And you know, one, one key rule in brewing is change one variable at a time, because if you change three things at once, you don't know which one worked. And we're fortunate that we brew a lot. Um, we brew probably four or five times a week. So at least, so we're able to, you know, track and, and monitor and, and see what works and what improves. And, and we're always looking to improve, but it's, especially when you're a distributing brewery, you know, you can't just say, okay, we're just going to do this beer completely different now because that's just not going to, going to work. Wow. So just uh, giving credit to your son, first of all, it's great that you, you seem like you're kind of growing this as a family business, but what, what's the beer that he made that you're so proud of? It's a, a cranberry lime blonde that we released for the anniversary party. And uh, part of what, and I say this, and I, I'm not really a cranberry fan. So I, I'm not going to be the guy that waxes poetically how it's in this amazing beer. Everyone should try it because it's, but what I can say is cranberry and lime are so different in their flavor intensities. And he got the balance just spot on to where it's almost like neither one dominates, but you can tell they're both there. And that's pretty cool. Um, you know, that's, 
that took a lot of uh, probably a little luck but a lot of work on his part so that's that's why i think it was and and it was really well received which is also very very cool to see well looking at your beer styles um you know i was actually just talking about goza because i remember when goza came out of nowhere in 2015 and um the new york times wrote about it but um who drives the styles is 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 it a tap room with with customers being open to different styles like how many styles do you usually have on in the tap room and um does does one of the brewers just say hey can we just try you know what is there a green light that's needed to make a different style of beer how about that there is uh there's a lot of factors um starting with can we when when can we fit it in the schedule is one um we definitely have discussions of will it sell you know what's what's the what's the thought process what are we going for um and and honestly most of them become kind of collaborative at that point where you know well what if we did this or what if we did that and and 10 times out of 10 it's a better result than one guy you know or one person just coming up with something um but it's also a business and that's kind of where I get involved, not, and so does Rob, but you know, it's gotta be uh, economically feasible. Uh, it can't just be, you know, it can't be priced to the point where you got to charge you know, $20 for eight ounces or whatever, some outrageous number. And especially if we're going to push it into distribution, you know, and we get feedback from customers too. Some of it's been really good. Some of it, you you listen and nod and smile and move on but um you know you you take wherever you can get it and and because sometimes you know you may have not thought of something and, and all of a sudden hey that worked you know so and how, how many different styles do you usually have on in, in the tap room at one time we have 14 taps um so pretty much they're always full uh you know, and the schedule gets hard because because we are distributing statewide, and um, so you can't run out of some of those. Be you know the stuff we put in the cans, especially powder on our bestseller. Um, that you know those things kind of have to take precedence a little bit, and we don't. We operate on a 15 barrel brew house, and we don't have a pilot system, so we are kind of running and gunning as we go, and. Luckily, through sheer repetition, we kind of have a a good idea of what works, at least from the the, the brewing process. So we kind of have an idea of how it's going to work. But you know, if we're developing something new, say like horchata powder run, which is our our powder run vanilla cream ale, and then we add cinnamon. Um, you know, it takes a couple. We're not just going to brew it and can it. We have to kind of work through. We want to make sure it's good. It's stable and all that kind of fun stuff, especially when you use fermentables, whether it's fruit or or, or honey or, or anything else. You know, is last thing you want is exploding cans. Retailers really really are not fans of that when the cans blow up on the shelf. So, either are consumers for that matter. But um, so we we like to you know something will go through a process where we'll discuss it in depth and then we'll brew it and see what we think and we decide does it have potential to keep brewing it. And um, is this something that we want to push into, into the mainstream market that we're in? So it's a, it's a long, it's a longer process. You know, it's not, as you get bigger, you can't just, Hey, let's make this this week. You know um, you just can't do that. 
Wow. Hey, back to your uh, your brewer with the PhD in chemistry. I love that. <laughs> no, I, I think Em has been leading us to talk about high beer IQ. I guess he has a high beer IQ. <laughs> but um, you you mentioned um, changing one thing at a time when when you're tinkering with with recipes and beer. Um, mm-hmm. it, with his interest in chemistry, has he done anything or or talked about or changed any of your yeasts? Yes, all of them. <laughs> um we've changed supplier and um which which is the all of them but uh yeah we we've always kind of played with different yeasts uh and you know one thing as a home brewer i never attempted and and kind of saw it as this black magic thing what was harvesting and and repitching and all that stuff because when you're a home brewer you buy a six dollar slant of white labs and go maybe make a starter and you know there's no you're spending more in stuff to to repitch than you are in just another getting a new one. But you know now our pitches of yeast are in the eight nine hundred dollar range. Um, so he took what we were already doing with with regards to yeast uh, handling and just grew on it and understood it more. And and uh, you know we're we're cell counting, we're doing all that fun stuff and. Um, because of his knowledge, you know, we've been able to extend our yeast generations from probably six or seven to 13 or 14. So that makes a huge difference, both in the economics, because I'm not having to buy yeast as much, but also in the, um, the quality of the yeast, because it's really just, you know, it gets stronger we've got a much wider window of really, really good yeast and, and strong fermentations that we didn't have as good, you know, we might've gotten four or five and now we're getting eight or nine. Um, and then also with the Goza we were talking about, he's been hugely instrumental in, in shaping that pro- part of the project. And um, we now buy smaller pitches of, different bacteria and then he he's able to prop them up and grow them in a in an environment that we won't infect anything else and so yeah it's been a it's been a very that that area is probably the biggest um impact and that and he's a very uh data driven tracks everything which i love um so those those two areas and it's kind of nice because he likes to focus on those, which is what we needed. And I can still focus on, hey, I think these flavors go well together, you know, or, or let's really try to push this this style a little bit. And and he agrees with me also that we didn't mention is that all of our beers do start with a style. We don't just create a beer that's, you know, style is important to me and, and discussing all the creativity I really am happy to see some classic styles starting to come back uh, in popularity. Um, we were never the brewery that was, you know, melting ice cream or um, dumping cakes into the mash tun. We, you know, that just isn't how I wanted it to be. And especially with our lager program, we've been able to also focus on on just brewing some great just beers that people know and, and stylistically as best we can. Oh, that's great. Hey, just back to this yeast and flavor. So yeah. um, in your working with your brewer, are, are you better able to identify like certain flavors? How does it work with yeast and flavors? Now, that's what I want to know is 
what's the relationship and and how has it evolved with your new brewer it's um it's it's partially flavor uh and that's going to be more true with things like belgian yeast um some lager yeast for sure uh, you know, we still, the most popular yeast is well, White Labs 001, Calale, which is the uh, Chico, uh, also known as Sierra Nevada yeast, which is very, very clean. You don't get, it's not a yeast that's going to impart flavors. It's just a clean fermentation to let the other flavors through. So it, it really depends. Some, some yeast you're looking for flavor, uh, especially Belgians. Um, you let them run a little hotter, so they throw off more fusel alcohols and different flavors. Um, and his knowledge of those is, is, you know, he, I was doing it based on, you know, I would read and understand, okay, this flavor, when it gets hotter and this flavor, and, you know, he understands the actual processes of, of what the out fusel alcohols and all the different esters are. And so he, you know, he's just dialing it into another level. Um, as we, and it just does nothing but help us. And I, and I know there's, as we grow, there's more coming because he has a much better understanding of the quality control aspects, you know, whether it's plating and, and looking at different beer spoilers and that stuff, which, you know, we just try to avoid, but what he needs to do with what he needs to make that happen is unfortunately equipment. That's a little out of our, out of our scope in cost due to cost at this point, but hopefully we'll get there and, and he can continue to, to grow it. But, you know, he just really understands the pro you know, when you understand it as deep as he does, what we're doing becomes kind of simple to him. So it's easier for him to, to lock in on it and, and just to do it. You know, consistency is the key in trying to, to make every batch especially when you're distributing and sending it out there, people, you know, want the same beer. They want the beer they're expecting. Yeah. That's a bit, it's a big part of why I like certain breweries, you know, it has the same, you know, je ne sais quoi taste, mm -hmm. you know, and um, there's not that that's really important. So back to your style. So you mentioned Belgian, Belgian styles. Is there one, one of your Belgian style beers you'd like to give a shout out to? And perhaps is there any influence of your brewer in that or the yeasts or not um well the hard part about belgian styles is they they just aren't super popular right now um they have their people for sure and i'm one of them um but they don't have the mass appeal that others do and and english ales are the same way uh unless you're a specialist in it you know people aren't you don't see a lot of we go to a local liquor store you're not going to see a lot of english style beers um unfortunately those are two of my favorites but um and we brewed so we don't brew belgians all the time and we did and when you brew a belgian beer or any beer like that you know that's yeast strain specific you know we buy we bring in a specific belgian yeast strain to make the belgian beers you are committing to a run of beers because you want to keep using that yeast for the economics of it you know you don't want to do one and done with with a, a pitch of yeast from the lab because now you've added a lot of cost and when you when you can harvest and repitch and reuse that yeast over say six seven beers you know you've now divided that cost by six into sellable beers so when you when you commit to one belgian you're committing at least for us you're committing to probably three or four at least so we brewed um 
three right now as we're at. Uh, we brewed a, a a beer we do called Stubborn Monk, which is a Belgian double that I developed that I really like. And then we did a triple, Belgian triple, and then we did quad, Belgian quad or Belgian dark strong. And when he brewed those two, it we hadn't really brewed Belgian since he got here. And I was really impressed with the quality, especially the quad. It's fantastic. And I talked, I told him that and he's like, yeah, I really like, he told me, he's like, I really love to brew those kind of beers. I can brew them really well, but they don't, especially right now, the quad isn't, it's not exactly the time of year for Belgian quads, but um, we did it for our anniversary and, and we put some in the barrels, but um, you know, that was something I did not, because it just never came up. Uh, so, you know, it was neat to see that he had a passion for that as well. Um, it's just now trying to work it in and, and, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be sitting on it. So you, it's gotta be something you can sell. You know, when, when I first started in the industry, like 30 years ago, it, it was good, good Belgian doubles and then triples that, that really got me going. And, right. you know, a, a good night out would, would definitely go from Belgian triple and probably end with a Belgian quad. Yep. And it, to me, that's why I started drinking beer. It, it wasn't i never just drank beer to drink beer and now i drink good beer <laughs> right. absolutely but. yeah it was uh same for me it was one of the styles that definitely got me into it and uh or you know groups of styles and i remember discovering unibrew out of canada and how good their belgian styles were and what you know that was probably one of those beers breweries that got me kind of in my mind going, I really would like to try to do this. And then M, do, do you like Belgian style beers? Absolutely. Um, one of my true beer loves. I, um, I'll give a little shout out to Brews Beers in Denver who make all Belgian beers. And I think that's such a feat in, in this day and age with Belgians not being incredibly popular. I think it's incredible that everything that they ferment is with Belgian yeast. And um, to Jason's point about being intentional about the use of yeast uh, for flavor, I just love that estery, earthy component of Belgian yeast that is really hard to find in any other kind of a kind of a strain. Wow, that's cool. Hey, we're going to close out soon, but uh, Jason, I just want to talk about a thing I think is important for the industry. And whether you want to call it the talent pool or or this the rise of accreditations, it's it seems that I don't think enough people talk about. You mentioned that your brewer has a PhD in chemistry, or, or I'm seeing people advancing higher and higher with with uh, general knowledge programs like like Cicerone. Mm-hmm. How I, do do you think that that the enough people are talking about the higher level of of you know the the talent that we have now in terms of training experience. I mean, right there, you've, you blew me away with you, with your brewer and his chemistry. I think I have kind of mixed feelings, not, not mixed feelings, but mixed opinions. I think the Cicerone program is great. I think, you know, if you want to study that stuff, that's fantastic. Um, or things like BJCP where you get certified as a beer judge. Um, I think, for me on the business or on the, you know, the brewery side of it, like I've discussed with our brewers, 
um, I feel like it's a little bit like in the wine world with, you know, becoming a sommelier and taking the master sommelier. Cicerone is really driven more towards the service and, and education of beer, not making it. And which is necessary and wonderful, but it doesn't necessarily make you a better brewer other than you have an understanding. Um, I've pushed my guys in production to that BJCP might be better because if you really, that's where you really hit hard on the styles and the flavors that you're looking for in a good beer. Um, but neither one, you know, that's one of the things there is no, that I know of anyway, standardized for brewing. And part of that is we all do it differently, whether it's the equipment we have or the ingredients we have or the, the knowledge we have. Um, you know, so it's, they're wonderful to do. And I applaud anybody who does them. Just don't think that that does it. You know, you should always be learning and always be looking to do better and understand more. Um, you know, I, I'm more apt to see someone who has worked themselves up through three different breweries, brewing and done, you know, created this beer and worked on this style and that over someone, who, you know, who wants to tell me they're, a, you know, a, a level one Cicerone. Um, and, and I take that back to my my background when I was in uh, culinary that I worked with guys from some of the best culinary schools in America. Some were fantastic. Some of them were, you know, couldn't cut a tomato. It doesn't give you the inform. It gives you the information. It's what you do with it that matters. And, and I think that's key. You know, don't, don't get a certification, get a certification, get a certification because you really want to know everything you can. And it's part of the journey. I think that's the way, at least I see it. And, you know, having done this now nine years, I am nowhere close to knowing everything I need to know. And that's part of what keeps me coming in every day is there's just more to learn and more to understand and, and things evolve and things change. So it's, that's, that's part of the joy is you get to just keep making yourself better and therefore making better beer. All right. Listen, Jason and M and live in the dream brewery in Littleton, Colorado. Thanks so much for joining me on Heritage Radio Network. Big shout out to Armin Spengen, our engineer. And I'm Jimmy Carboni. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! Thank you. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.